Well, Happy New Year. Great to see you. Good to be back together. Hope you had a great Christmas holiday. So today uh, we are going to turn to two passages from the New Testament, the book of Ephesians chapter 1 and John chapter 17. Uh, I'm going to uh, read these and then we are going to pause this for a minute so that we can uh, ask the Lord to open our hearts and minds to receive all that he wants to say to us today. Hope you follow along in your Bible. They'll also be up on the screen. Ephesians chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the time times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth and under Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. John chapter 17 Jesus is praying, John 17, 1. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them, you and me, so that we may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and will have loved them even as you have loved me. So I pray, O God, that you would put us in a position to receive, to be challenged, inspired, reminded, encouraged. Let's open our hearts and minds. Amen. January is kind of a natural new beginning. 
For many, it's kind of like a reset. And as a result, right now, gyms are full. Like I go to my gym, and I go about the same time during the week, either in the evening or in the morning, and the same people are there. And so I now it's full, and I walk, and I go, well, in a month you won't be there, and you won't be there, and you won't be there. <laughs> we remake our budgets because we're going to get our finances under control. Uh, we set goals. We make resolutions. Uh, membership at Weight Watchers goes up. We commit to quit smoking. Maybe start that business you've always dreamed about. And if you want to start a business and you don't have a plan yet, I've got a gold mine for you. Ready? Start selling COVID tests on the black market. You will make a fortune. Promise. Right? But we all say, like, this year's going to be different. 2022 is going to be different than 2021. So it's only natural for churches then to put together sermon series that reinforce that ideal. And so we come up with catchy titles like Your Best Year Ever or 22 Reasons Why 2022 is going to be Awesome or 22 to a New You. However, here, today, is not that day. I was in a conversation with... uh, Someone here, a member at Northbrook, whom I like, and they looked at me and they said, you know, Mike, I feel like there's something that you want to say, but you're holding it back, which took me a little off guard, but in hindsight, I realized they're right. They were right when they said that to me. So today, of course, Uh, The foundation of today's message is from the scripture, but I also want to share with you something that's deep in here. I've wrestled with how to articulate what it is that I'm feeling and sensing what I've noticed as I read through the New Testament with many of you last year. So we're going to dive into some passages from the New Testament over the next four weeks that I believe are critical to the future of the Christian church. Uh, They're things that the Bible speaks about constantly. And what I'm going to ask from you today specifically is a little bit of grace. Because when you are, when you feel something deeply, when you're passionate about something, it's very easy to come across as a bit self-righteous. It's easy to come across as a little condemning. And I certainly don't want that to be the case. I mentioned a few months ago in a sermon that I gave that I am experiencing right now two strangely competing emotions at the same time. On the one hand, I am incredibly happy and content, probably the most happy and content I've ever been in my life. Like my family's good, my marriage is good, my kids are doing well, my daughter made the dean's list as a freshman in college. I mean, that's exciting, right? The bills are in first place. I, life's good. Right? I, like, I love this church. I love what I do. I love you. I love being here. I love the people I work with. So, so good, so content. And at the very same time, I am experiencing a sense of weariness. Not like physically tired, because I don't feel tired. I actually feel good. Um, part of that weariness 
comes from what we're all kind of experiencing together in the world. But there's another part of it that finds its root in something different. And I've identified what it is that I'm feeling from what I am witnessing in the Christian church. And if I were to use a word to describe that observation, the word would be division. Right now, in every church I know, and I know a lot of pastors in a lot of churches. The Barna Research Group, uh, a couple of weeks ago, just released some data. And they have concluded from their research that right now, currently today, 38% of all pastors have either left or are considering leaving ministry. And if you put 38% to actual numbers, that's a lot of people. And the number one reason cited is division and strife in their church, and they just can't take it anymore can't deal with it. It's not what they signed up for. 38% is an alarming number. Now, at the very same time, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful for a lot of reasons. One of those is something I've been experiencing over the last three years. For three years, I have been uh, meeting regularly with a group of pastors from 10 different churches, uh, regularly like once every six, eight weeks. Uh, those churches are Eastbrook, Bruce City Church, Kettlebrook, Meadowbrook, Southbrook, Lake Point Church, Fulton Church, Ethnos Church, and Elmbrook Church. And we've come together just for camaraderie. We've come together to do life, network, share, share together. But we've also been, been asking a question. And the question that we've been asking together is, what does it actually mean to be the church? And so we've talked about that, we've studied the scripture, and there is a theme that keeps coming across in the New Testament over and over and over and over, and that theme is unity in the body of Christ and in the church. And so then we ask, if unity is something that's important to God, what would it look like for us to do something together as churches? And so this sermon series is a step in that direction. So over the next four weeks, all 10 churches that I've just mentioned, we're all giving the same messages. And we even all use the same like opening video, right? We're just kind of in this together. We all worked on this series of sermons together and we'd take it one step further. So for two weeks of the four, uh, I'm gonna give the message here. And then for two of those weeks, I'm gonna go to one of those other churches. And pastors from those churches are going to come here for two of the weeks and give two uh, of the messages. Now, this week, uh, we're going to kick it off, and I'd like to do some excavation work in the two passages that I've just read, Ephesians chapter 1 and John chapter 17, with this question in mind. What is the church? And is this what Jesus actually had in mind when he spoke of it? Because when Jesus spoke of it, he was not talking about a building or an organization or something that happens at Saturday night on 4.30 and Sunday at 8, 9, and 10.30. Every time that word is used, it's a reference to a group of people who worship God coming together for life and for mission. And it starts because God chose us 
you and me, to be his people. And back to Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, the apostle Paul writes, Praise be to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. Ephesians is more a letter than it is a book. It was written by the Apostle Paul to a church located in a city called Ephesus. Now, Ephesus was a wealthy port city, a center of culture, a center of religion, much like modern-day Los Angeles. Now, in Ephesus... One of their key bragging points was there was a temple there dedicated to the god Artemis. This temple was so magnificent that it was eventually labeled as one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Now, part of being an Ephesian was that you were a bit arrogant about who you were and where you came from. For a couple of years, my wife and I lived in Los Angeles. And not only is there a vibe, but there's also kind of like this, this sense that people there think they're better than everybody else. So much so that many of my friends, when referencing the Midwest, referred to it as flyover country. Meaning, you get on an airplane in Los Angeles and you're flying to New York, you got to fly over the Midwest. There's no sense stopping there because there's nothing there. That's kind of the mentality I experienced. So the Apostle Paul kind of addresses this type of attitude in Ephesus. He says, you're not blessed because of where you live. You're not blessed because of where you exist or where you are, but you're blessed because of what's happening in the heavenly, heavenly realms, which is a reference to the vastness of God's reach, grace, and redemptive work, a vastness that is now displayed through Christ's church. Now, that would would have seemed crazy to an Ephesian because their wealth, their temple, their culture, that was everything. What the Apostle Paul writes to this church in this city and says, you're not blessed because of what you have or where you live. You're blessed because of what God has done for you through Christ. Ironically, the temple to Artemis has long been destroyed, but the church that the Apostle Paul spoke of still stands. That vastness of redemption and grace and blessing. And God chose you to be a part of it. Because like, we all like to be chosen, right? We, we all want to be picked. They might not say it, but we like it. It makes us feel good. When I, was, when I was a kid for eight years, so all through elementary school, and in the middle school, I played baseball, Little League Baseball. And I played shortstop and pitcher. And I was not very good at shortstop, but I was a pretty good pitcher. Uh, so much so that every year, our league had an all-star game. And every team voted on two players to send to the all-star team. And two years in a row, I was voted as the starting pitcher for our all-star team. And it made me feel good. It made me feel good being picked. It made me feel good being noticed and chosen. Because we all want it. We want to feel important. We want to feel noticed. We want to matter. We want to do something that matters. Even those of us that say, no, I don't. Yes, you do. Because you're human. God chose you. You're important. You're worth something. You matter. 
Now, sometimes we get that language, the language of chosen, the word used in the scriptures, also the word predestination. I think we get that sideways. I believe that language has more to do with Jewish roots of Christianity. The word chosen has a deep foundation in God's revelation to his people, Israel. In the Old Testament, the Israelites were God's chosen people. But now, through Christ, even the Gentiles, me and you, are part of God's chosen people. But being chosen, it's kind of like when I was chosen to play in the All-Star game, there were some expectations. Number one was play like an All-Star. Show up to the practices, do the work. This is when we used to keep score, so it actually mattered, right? Here, the Apostle Paul is challenging the Christian church. God chose you, and as a result, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle and patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So as God's chosen people, let us live a life worthy of our calling, of our chosenness. And then the Apostle Paul does the hard work and tells us what that means. It means being humble and gentle and patient and lovingly tolerant of each other, living in unity. Matter of fact, he gave us another word. He said, live, I've chosen you to live in my family. The language that the Bible uses and the working metaphor throughout the New Testament to describe the church is the family. Like we're together, we do life as a family. Back in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5, he writes, he predestined us for adoption. Like adoption is the language of family. When you are adopted, you are taken in by parents to be a part of a family, and God has chosen us to be a part of his family. Now, for some of us, that's a hard metaphor because our family wasn't good. It was hard. But in a healthy family, in a healthy family, there's nothing better. Let me tell you about my family. Like my, extent, my, my, my extended family, my aunts, uncles, brothers, cousins. <clears throat> my family loves each other. Uh, we like being together. We, 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 we enjoy it. It's not a task. We enjoy being together. <clears throat> but <clears throat> in my family, we don't agree on everything. There's a wide variety of opinions in the Belanti household. There are some in my family that in this last election season voted for Donald Trump. And there are some in my family who voted for Joe Biden. And there are some who voted for neither because they couldn't stomach either one of them. There's some in my family who drive Chevys. And there's some in my family who drive Toyotas. There are some in my family who have dogs and could never imagine a cat darkening the door of their home. And then there are those in my family who have cats and could never imagine having a dog in their house. And there are some in my family that think anyone who owns a pet is crazy. There are some in my family who took the COVID vaccine and are happy to tell you why you should get it. And if you don't, you're wrong. And there are others who have refused to get it and are happy to tell you why it's poison that you're putting in your body. There's some of my family who wear masks everywhere they go 
and tell you why it's a loving thing to do. And there are some of my family who refuse to wear masks and say it's government overreach and control. There are some in my family who love whiskey. And there are some in my family that think we should go, we should go back to prohibition. There are some in my family who think essential oils are the cure for every ailment out there, and others that think that it's basically snake oil and voodoo. Everything I said is 100% true. My family didn't make anything up. It's all true. And as a result, you know what we do? We figure it out because we're family. That's what we do. And there are disagreements. But we don't get mad and leave the family. I've had some brawls with members of my family that were ugly. But you know what? We worked it out because we're family. I have family members that I don't like. (laughs) Is he allowed to say that? Yes. Which is going to be challenging because some of my family watch this online and they're going to think, well, is he talking about me? <laughs> no. And there are some in my family that don't like me because I, you know, I, I, I can be a bit of an acquired taste. In my, in my home, in my immediate, like in my home, like my wife and my kids, we're not perfect either. Like my children will say to me sometimes, like I bet you some of your kids do, they'll say, like, Dad... Who's your favorite? I have two kids. Who's your favorite? And I respond the way every loving parent should respond. Depends on the day. (laughs) Because my favorite are my two kids living together in unity. Like, that's my favorite. I love my family. We're far from perfect. No church family is perfect. If you were to sit down with the 10 pastors of those 10 churches that I just mentioned, they would all tell you the same exact thing because we've all said it to each other. Every one of us is exhausted from the fighting and the division and the leaving. And what makes it even more worse is that we're all messed up anyway. So regardless of what church you go to, you're going to problems. Because all families have problems. So what do we do about this? I have two younger brothers. One of them's name is Jeremy. He's a year younger than me. And I have another brother named Jason. He's eight years younger than him, than us. We call him the golden child because he gets whatever he wants. But my brother Jeremy, who's a year younger than me, when we were kids, we would fight all the time. Not, not our, I mean, fight, like heads through walls. I mean, just my parents can tell you stories. So one day, my brother Jeremy and I are playing cards, like for money. Him and I are gambling in our bedroom. And he cheated because he's a cheat. And I said, you're a cheater. You're cheating. He said, no, I'm not. Yes, you are. I saw you. You're cheating. No, I'm not. I saw you. So I just got mad. And I said, you know what? Fine. I, just, I reached over, took the, all the money, put it in my pocket and said, I win. You're done. And he didn't say a word. He just gave me a right hook and split my lip open. It's bleeding everywhere. True story. And so the ruckus is happening because it's in our house and my mom comes up. She opens the door. She goes, what's going on? What's going on? Oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Then she starts crying. Like it's my mom. My mom is the sweetest person you'll ever meet. <clears throat> my, my, my mother should be canonized as a saint. 
And she's up there and she's saying, she's crying and she's saying, stop it, stop it, stop it. Now, I, I'm not a crier. Like, I, I wish I was a crier because I think crying is therapeutic and the few times I've cried is very, very, very healthy and helpful, but I'm not. But if I was, this would be one of those moments where you'd see tears in my eyes, right? Can we just stop it? Can we just stop it? All my pastor friends in every church I know are thinking or saying the same thing. Can we not stop it? Because it's not doing any good anyway. It's changing nothing. Now, let me just clarify something because sometimes people put words in my mouth that never actually came out of my mouth. That actually happens a lot, ironically, because we hear what we want to hear. I'm not suggesting there is never a reason to find a new church family. There is. I came here. I left a church to come here. I'm not suggesting there's never a reason. But not as often as we do. In the last year, I have never seen anything like it in 25 years of ministry, and neither have any of my friends at any of the churches I'm friends with. I love that the church is spoken of as a family because it's really easy to leave an institution. Because when an institution fails me, I find another one. This week, I, last week, I, I heard a guy to do some work for me, and it was a horrible experience, quite frankly. It ended up costing double, and it looked terrible, and I'll never use them again. And that's my choice find somebody else. But when my family disappoints me, like I don't go find another one. Families, at least healthy ones, are welcoming my family acts like they want me there. When I walk through the door of my parents' house, it is like, it's a good feeling, like, because they genuinely want my presence. God's message throughout the scripture is, like, you're wanted here. Every person that walks through that door, like, you're wanted here. Bring all your baggage, bring all your contradictions Bring all your faults, bring all your conspiracy theories, bring all your failures, and we'll figure it out. Because we're a family. Families are open-hearted. These healthy ones. Families are really willing to do life with you. Families understand each other and make space to understand each other. I have no idea why my sister-in-law would ever have a cat. But I'm at least willing to understand. I even went over there and I even pet it. <laughs> my family wants me to grow. My family is not afraid to challenge me with truth. Because my family wants me to be better. And families show up for each other. Families are present. And you may think, well, that, Mike, that's nice, but I had a moment of need, 
and the church didn't show up for me. And quite frankly, uh, there are some of you here, I failed. And I deeply re- regret it. Makes me sad. But you know what else I can tell you? I'll probably do it again. Because I'm human. Just like you. And sometimes we get a very twisted idea of what it means for the Christian church to show up for each other. And over the years, I've had people say to me, you know, Mike, I went through this thing and the church didn't show up for me. And I'm like, nobody? Well, you know, my life group was there. And an elder was, was there. So I'm like, oh, wait, time out. What you're saying is because I didn't do something, then the church didn't show up. Listen, I'm not the church. I'm a guy. I'm just a guy. We're the church. Like, I don't show up for you. We show up for each other. When Jesus spoke of the church, when the Apostle Paul wrote about it, you see these things over and over and over. And then Jesus goes on to say, this is so important because living as one, we live for the sake of the world. Unity and love are apologetic. Back to Ephesians chapter 1. He, speaking of God, made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and under the earth. Then I read Jesus' prayer in John 17, and I, like, I, I sense the weight in Jesus' voice. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so the world may believe that you've sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them, you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. This is the prayer that Jesus prays right before he's crucified. Of all the things he could have prayed, he prays for the unity of his church. I believe he does that because when the Christian church is divided, God is disgusted. And here's why I believe that. In Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19, this is what the writer states. There are six things the Lord hates, and seven that are an abomination to him. Like the word hate and abomination, those are strong words. That's strong language. Six things the Lord hates, seven that are abomination. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord amongst brothers. One who divides. He hates it. Just like I'd hate it if you tried to divide my family. So let's ask a hard question. One I ask of myself. Have I ever, in large or small ways, divided God's family? I mean, the New Testament has some strong things to say about that. In the book of Titus chapter 3, verse 10, warn a divisive person once, then warn him a second time. After that, have nothing to do with him. Like, that's... That's a strong thing to say. 
But God hates division. And the world is confused by it, quite frankly. Most people have enough drama in their own regular life to go find it somewhere else. So if a church is divided and fighting, and who would want to be a part of that? And I think, I don't know what your theology of the devil is, but what I think is I think the devil just sits back and laughs. I think he's got some popcorn. I think he's got a beer. Or if you're Baptist, a Diet Coke. And I think he's just saying, I don't have to do anything because they're doing it to themselves. <laughs> Our unity and love for each other is the apologetic. The word apologetic means defense of, not apologizing for. So Christian apologetics then is the defense of the Christian faith. If we're not united, nobody cares what we believe. You can know the Bible and prophecy and archaeology. You have evidence. You can, you can forward people websites about uh, apologetics and how the gospel is true and why it's true. But if we're not loving and united, they're not going to care. It mean, even Jesus said it's not enough. I and them, you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then, 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 then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. I mean, this is how I came to faith in Christ. Not because I heard a sermon, but because I saw a bunch of people in loving unity and I wanted it. I wanted it in. So what do we do? Now, unity is not, the, not, not sameness. Unity is not uniformity. Because I promise you, in a church this big, there are some things that I believe about the Bible and life that you would disagree with. And there are some things that you believe that I would definitely disagree with. But there are things that I think we agree upon. I believe in God the Father, the maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only son. Like, that's enough for me. That we're worshiping the same God. Quite frankly, I, sometimes I get overwhelmed because I wonder if what I'm talking about is even possible anymore. And sometimes I just say, I'm just going to run around and I'm just going to keep yelling, Stop it! As we wrap this up, I think some appropriate next steps for this week for some of us maybe we just maybe we just start off by apologizing to God for dividing his family for those of us I want to I encourage you and challenge you this week to join me in praying for the unity of his church not sameness not robust not uniform that we would come together not just this church but all the churches I just mentioned the Christian church the, the, the body of Christ and we're going to begin that prayer today. I'm going to invite you to stand. On the screens, uh, I have a prayer, and I'm, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me. I mean, if you believe it, I'm just going to ask you to pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, forgive us when we have caused barriers and divisions within the body of Christ. Help us to be one in unity of spirit, one in the bond of peace, and one in fellowship and love towards all people. Forgive us of our own biases and unloving attitude towards others and believers. Forgive us for being too quick to criticize other brothers and sisters in Christ, ready to declare our differences rather than seeking our similarities in Christ. 
Help us to love others as you have loved each of us. Bind us together in love, in the unity of the Spirit, and the bond of peace. We pray this in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.